And welcome to the Fatal Conceits podcast, dear listener, a show about money, markets, mobs, and manias, not necessarily in that order. If you're a first-time listener or you are joining us once again, please do head over to our Substack page. That's at bonnerprivateresearch.substack.com. There you'll be able to find hundreds of articles and research papers on everything from high finance to lowly politics and plenty more besides, including many discussions under the Fatal Conceits podcast section, just like this. And for today's episode, I'm delighted to welcome back one of my very favorite guests, uh, a longtime personal friend and friend of the Bonner Private Research family, a man with, I think, possibly the coolest job title in the world, that is International Real Estate Scout. Uh, please welcome Mr. Ronan McMahon. How do you do, sir? Joel, lovely to be here as always. Doing good. <laughs> Fantastic. Now, mate, last time you and I spoke, uh, if you'll recall on this podcast, I was in your uh, I guess sometime hometown of Cabo San Lucas on the Baja Peninsula in Mexico. And you were in, I guess, one of your other sometimes homes uh, on Portugal's Costa Verde. Where do we find you today? I'm talking to you today from an Airbnb <laughs> in Guadalajara. Of, of course of you are. Places. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did just to kind of lower the, the sexiness of it. I'm not quite beachfront. I'm looking out at beautiful flowering hacarinda trees, but I'm making my way east, my eastward migration from Cabo San Lucas to Ireland and to Portugal is, is underway. Okay. Yeah. You, we were mentioning uh, just before going on air here that we're both in the midst of uh of packing for our, our seasonal migrations. For listeners who are unfamiliar with your uh, no air condition and no heating rule that uh, you've imposed upon your life, do you want to give us your just kind of the, the migratory pattern of an international real estate scout? Absolutely, Joel. So the maybe starting where I'm now in terms of this block of the year, summer is 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 in Ireland. Um, I'm Irish, as as you well know. I like to kind of take that high summer in Ireland where, you know, we've got these long summer days until 10.30, 10.45 at night. Everything is green. Everything is beautiful. The weather can be okay. It can be mixed. I don't really mind if it's rainy because I'm coming from sunny Mexico and I've got my, my fix of sun. Then typically both shoulder seasons, spring and fall, I like to be in Portugal, it's actually the, the Silver Coast, that stretch of co- coast, oh, coast north of north of Lisbon. Amazing, big, wide, long, sandy beaches, kind of wild Atlantic weather, but mm. it's warm and it's pleasant. And I'm right on a beautiful beach and on a um, great oceanfront golf course in Praia del Rey. And um, got wide open spaces, great food, um, really, really special place to spend time. And then my winters are in my home in Cabo San Lucas, Mexico. So there again, I get I, I get these beautiful winters in, in Cabo where it's kind of mid-70s, low 80s, 
nearly always t-shirt, but often it's mm-hmm. kind of long pants in the evening. So following that route, I, I learned a couple of things, Joel, when, when I started traveling. You know, first is weather and atmospheric conditions are very important to my overall kind of sense of well-being. Um, I had asthma when our mild asthma when I was young. You know, I would have told you it wasn't a big deal, but then when I moved to a low humidity place or spent time in a low humidity place like Cabo San Lucas, I started to realize, geez, I really, really feel a lot better with this kind of sunshine and low humidity. And um, you know, I I also don't do well in in heat. That's the Irish boy in me. So, you know, I found life is a lot better when I just kind of move around and follow both weather conditions and and places that 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 agree with me. You know, and along the way, too, I'll get to kind of scratch a lot of those itches. Like, I mean, I love to live in places that are really quiet and have the sense of isolation. Um, while being, you know, relatively close to an international airport. But I also like to get my big world-class city fixes. So, you know, I think no no year is complete without some time in London and Paris. And, you know, so that, that, that's, how I, that's how I like to organize and, um, you know, and work and do my research and do my deal making along the way as, as I go. Well, I want to I want to get into that uh, that that work that you're doing and that you've been doing, of course, with Bill Bonner for uh, goodness as long as I've known you, and that Bill has been doing since uh, going back, I guess, to the '70s with the founding of International Living. But uh, just right off the top, it it seems like you know just such a kind of Bond spy esque uh, existence, just sort of you know cruising from one place to the next. Um, and, but you've spent, you know, the better part of your career showing people how actually to do this and and actually sort of, you know, where the rubber meets the road with regards to how they can potentially make that happen in their life. But I wanted to just go back to one point that we mentioned in our last conversation uh, on this show, and that was over the past few years, there seems to have been this catalyzing event with the sort of the global pandemic and people have been locked in their homes for for a long time um and now it seems they've 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 gotten out the world is just beginning to start opening up again they're starting to look over the back fence and you know reimagine themselves on these on these sort of grand tours uh if you will but I think one of the points you brought up last time was that a lot of people who had been living in very high-priced cities, maybe San Francisco or Chicago or New York, came to find that actually it, they weren't really getting the bang for their buck with regards to rent, let's say, San Francisco. I think it's the highest in the U.S. at some astronomical uh, figure. But it did seem like the the pandemic kind of catalyzed a bit of an a bit of an outflow from those cities. There were, of course, these famous Zoom towns and people kind of commuting to work. I know there was a lot of talk about that trend reversing or maybe even just contracting in the wake of the pandemic. But it does seem like people who got a bit of a whiff of freedom are reluctant to give that up, and that and that maybe actually 
this is the beginning of a kind of reverse migration from those big cities that that people are now trying to get out of. Is that something, does that kind of resonate with you and your experience? I mean, first of all, Joel, I would say straight up, you will have heard no talk from me of reversal, not (laughs) for a second. And, you know, secondly, this has been the, the, it's a big acceleration rather than, you know, rather than something that kind of that that COVID has triggered. So let me go right back to the right back to the start, because, you know, you're scratching on something here that is kind of so integral to the way the world is changing. It's so integral to the opportunities that we have in terms of how we organize ourselves and so integral to 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 investment opportunities so f- first of all this was happening anyway um so over over the last 10 or 15 years just this thing of remote work remote ru- managing a business remote and enjoying your your retirement that was really really becoming a thing you know i was seeing just you know the explosion of beach cities like playa del carmen in mexico or lagos in portugal so so this is all happening anyway and along the way there have been a few kind of accelerating events and it's really interesting to look at these accelerating events because they might surprise you so one accelerating event was the last crisis the great financial crisis followed by the 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 arab spring and instability in the middle east and north africa so you know i think a lot of people perceive these kind of these jolts to the system as somehow you know somehow leading to kind of to 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 stagnation but what it really means is that the people who are in a position financially and in terms of skills get out. So, you know, the, the the Great Recession, the last financial crisis upended things. People moved to where, um, you know, it just challenged everything. So people moved to places like the Costa del Sol in Spain, and they figured out how to make a better life for, for themselves. And likewise, with the, with the Arab Spring, now, this is for a very different type of group but i think it's a really really interesting example because all that instability led to an influx again into places like the costa del sol in spain and um and 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 paris so so when the system gets shaken up what happens is people people reassess. So, you know, before COVID, we had been seeing this kind of, it was almost like a rat run. People, people left, um, maybe that's a, an inappropriate analogy, but the people left San Francisco because it was too expensive and to this and to that and to the other thing. And they moved to Austin. And then from Austin, they were moving to Tulum or to Panama or to Lisbon. And then COVID hit and everything goes up in the air and people are going straight from San Francisco to Cabo San Lucas or Tulum. You know, people are, you know, even though people are flooding into Austin, as an example, many, many people are also leaving and going to to these 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 other locations Um, before, during 
COVID, we saw how older people were were less inclined to to, to travel. And um, you know, since since things have 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 started opening up and and freeing up, they're traveling in great numbers to enjoy their time and enjoy their their their, their retirement. I'm seeing more and more of these places, you know, these very desirable places to spend time, you know, think about living in your dream beach city, you've got pristine white sand, you've got the best restaurants imaginable, you know, you're surrounded by a group of like-minded individuals, your accommodation and all your costs of living are a quarter or a fifth of what they're in, what they're in in San Francisco. These places are developing into their own ecosystems with their own startups, with their own vibrancy, with their own energy. This genie is is not going back in the go, going back in the bottle. Now, Joel, that's not to say people won't return to offices in to some extent and that's not to say that every company will will be remote or or stay remote but just remember the to have a dramatic impact on places like you know Cabo San Lucas or like Lagos in Portugal it just takes a very very small percentage of San Francisco tech workers or New York bankers, you know, it just takes a very small amount of them to really, really move the needle. And this is creating, you know, maybe the biggest investment opportunity of of my lifetime um, in places like the, these places I'm I'm talking about. And you know, I'm I'm thinking particularly about kind of Cabo San Lucas as I as I speak with you because you know tomorrow we open a new a new opportunity that's members only to my kind of my my group of real estate investors. And you know in Cabo San Lucas we've just seen incredibly fast rates of capital appreciation from our our members only deals and we've seen rental rates more than doubled since since pre-covid so it's been a great opportunity in terms of financially for us to be able to tap into these trends too yeah that's fantastic and i'll i'll include a link to uh, the work that you do at real estate trend alert uh, in our transcript here, uh, when you and I were speaking about uh, Cabo San Lucas, and I was ironically there, and you were in uh, in Portugal at the time, one of the things that kind of struck me that you had observed, and this is speaking as a, I won't say a young father, but the father of a young daughter, is that when people move to these, uh, these, uh, you know, to work remotely in places like Cabo and places. Um, you know, like in on the Mayan Riviera, et cetera, or, or in Europe, they they bring with them a certain demand for, uh, for example, um, education for their kids. And you were seeing, you know, small communities of generally like-minded individuals, young professionals with, uh, you know, elastic um, salaries that were now going a lot further. Those people were starting to, uh, you know, demand on location education for their kids, which I know for a lot of people, you know, a lot of my friends in the US are paying through the nose for what they're increasingly finding out is substandard education 
or indeed indoctrination for their kids. And uh, as with people who are, were starting to work remotely, people who are living remotely are quickly realizing that for a lot less uh, pennies on the dollar, they're able to afford, you know, some help around the house, a nanny, a private tutor, you know, piano lessons, all this kind of stuff that would have just been absolutely impossible had they had they stayed at home. But that creates a whole sort of sub-economy that's very vibrant in places like Carbo. Would you agree there? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it it this exists at you know at 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 every level. You know, you take, you know, the you as um, a father of, of a young child, you know, you're thinking about the various kind of infrastructure that goes with that. You know, maybe you're an avid golfer and you realize that now you come here and you need golf lessons or you're a tennis player and you need, you know, tennis coaching followed by a massage and you like certain types of types of food. And all this is just, you know, people, people and ideas in in a mobile virtual world people and ideas are the resources that make make an economy kick so not only do you have and do you develop that kind of that service infrastructure you know nannies kindergartens accredited schools universities um all this stuff but you also find that 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 ingenuity starts to get transferred. So, for example, you know, my team is is dotted around the world. And now I see, you know, for example, some of my team is based in Medellin in Colombia. So now we need to get kind of tech consulting services close to that person and close to that little team. So now now we're going out a level in the ring because it's more convenient to have our our tech consultants close on hand to 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 that person um it's easy for them to 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 connect and collaborate on certain things so now these little these little pods so where where i maybe had two team members now maybe they have another four or six people supporting them and providing frequently very, very high-level services. And those services are priced at a global market price because all those people are, are, are selling their time and selling their ideas and selling their, their brain power into a global market. So it's it's transformational when you when you what this brings to a, a lower wage economy. You know, when all of a sudden you've got this cohort that that are earning at at U.S. levels. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a huge a huge opportunity there. And having lived abroad myself in uh, in the middle and the far east, and now down here in South America, I, I think when we, <clears throat> you know, when we spend our childhoods in one country, and be that Europe or in in the U.S. or in in Australia, in my case, we we get used to. You know a certain type of market, and forget that it's a big, big world out there. So, uh, speaking of which, your uh, one of your mantras, I guess, or one of your sort of guiding principles when it comes to looking at places uh, around the world to invest, and you've you've mentioned a few of them here, is this idea, this path of progress idea, 
Um, and I, I wonder if you could just take a second just to explain that, uh, what you mean by that, and then we can kind of get into some places that potentially you're looking at presently. Yeah, yeah. So e- exactly, Joel. When what I see as a path of progress event is something that makes a place and typically in in my context it's a place that's that's very beautiful very attractive something happens that that all of a sudden makes that accessible so that's you know historically that's been big infrastructure events you know a, a new airport comes to a caribbean island um a new bridge connects two areas so big infrastructure projects that made beautiful places that were historically difficult to get to much much more accessible so the kind of the big examples of this you know i like to use mexico's riviera maya as the kind of the classic example because this is the the stretch of coast that starts south of Cancun and goes down to Tulum, those pristine white sand beaches. And there was nothing there. Go back to the 60s. There was, I mean, literally nothing. A few Mayan villages inland, but, but, no, but nothing on the coast. And then um, the Mexican government, through their tourism promotion body, came up with the idea of creating a tourism destination. So they built Cancun Airport and built the the infrastructure for a hotel zone. So this was like a master planned tourism event. Um, and then from there, um, then from there, they built roads. So first First, Cancun developed. It developed thanks to that improved air accessibility. Then they built a highway to Playa del Carmen. Mm-hmm. Development followed. And then onto, onto Tulum. So it's typically these big infrastructure events that, that improve accessibility. Now, you know, that kind of idea of this being infrastructure driven i'm really broadening it out over the over the past couple of years to include things like technological developments that 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 allow for remote work you know just mm. these big changes that 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 support and accelerate these trends yeah that that's very interesting you know i was uh speaking with our, our mutual friend uh, will bonner bill son uh, when he came to visit um, uh, his dad up in Salta, and we we travelled around in the this is in the northern reaches of Argentina for uh, for our listeners, and uh, where where Bill has some property, and uh, and he and Will run a wine partnership up there, very very remote part of the world, really arid, kind of lunar esque lands, uh, landscape uh, in many ways, and that's part of the reason that they have. Uh, their, their wine partnership up there, this really, really extreme uh, altitude, uh, you know, vineyards and extreme conditions for growing grapes. But it's it's very interesting. He was mentioning that, um, or one of our uh, co-travelers was, was mentioning that the Salteno government had, uh, you know, some, some conversations or some inroads with um, setting up Starlink internet access up there, which is this, you know, decentralized 
very, very futuristic sounding, um, uh, you know, private internet satellite connections, which I, I, when I think about something like that, you know, it, going back to the 60s, it was you had to land an airplane on a strip somewhere to bring people, you know, and bring opportunities to a place like Cancun. Now we go to somewhere, uh, you know, it's, this is about as remote as you can get up in uh, on the Bolivian Chilean border in far northern Argentina. And, you know, we walk around and we see kids in cafes on their laptops, you know, doing their doing their business. It's this sort of progress. It almost feels like the whole world is is opening up in that kind of a scenario. How do you how do you pinpoint one particular place over another when, you know, something like a tech expansion or liberation feels like it could be just super ubiquitous. Yeah. And just, you know, the, the other thing too, Joel, that, that's going on is that the governments right across the world are competing for us. You know, there is just now this, this succession of golden visa programs, you know, remote work visas, um, governments right across the world are looking to attract in mobile people so it's it's you know it's it it comes down to and so just how do you pinpoint um how do you pinpoint the next areas that 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 are set to set to explode um for me this is really really easy right now because what we're talking about is a mass acceleration so the there, 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 there's this variety of places that have proven themselves pre-acceleration to be the mm. most desirable places for remote workers, for mobile people, for retirees, for this whole cohort, um, which, you know, it's very interesting that can kind of exist so seamlessly side by side because you know, you say digital nomads, people might have some preconception, but you go to a place like Playa del Carmen in Mexico and you have, you know, young, trendy digital nomads, you've young families, you've older retirees. You know, these places broadly have the same kind of basket of things that 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 that, that, that are that are appealing to to, to everyone. So our strongest opportunity in terms of tapping into this is to go with places that have already proven themselves pre-COVID, pre-mass transformation. That's number one. And secondly, look to their hinterland and to see where the next place is in proximity. Where is the overflow going to go? So to, oh, to, to give an example, yeah. so to give a so to give an example, um, you know, and I'm, again, you know, I've just been the past few months in in Cabo, so kind of, and that's where I've been doing a lot of kind of research and and scouting, but you know, Cabo are the Los Cabos area of Mexico, let's say Cabo San Lucas and San Jose del Cabo, that's had this massive explosion fueled by a range of things, including, you know, all the stuff we've been talking about, plus improved air accessibility. Now, on the, on the margins of that, 
there's this whole bucket of new places. Okay. So Cabo San Lucas has been this like well-established Uber luxury destination for, 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 for decades in the last couple of years, development has been moving along the coast to Pescadero and Todos Santos. And, you know, I predicted transformation of both Pescadero and Todos Santos five years ago. Now those two areas, and Todos Santos is a Pueblo Magico, and Pescadero is an area 10 minutes closer to, 10 minutes closer to, to Cabo San Lucas that's got an abundant supply of water. So it's attracted all these kind of really cool foodie destinations. Mm-hmm. But those places you've got, let's call it the, the overflow. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of hesitant. It's, it's quasi overflow, but it's also that the pioneers who came there 10, 20 years ago you know, all of a sudden Cabo is too mainstream, too many big box stores, too many of all these things that are attracting maybe the the more conventional, practical people. Next thing, the pioneers are going an hour down the road. So um, outside of Cabo, we're seeing this like transformation of the Baja. I've just come from La Paz, which is the the, the state capital of Baja California sewer. And that's this beautiful, sleepy kind of seaside town with a lovely Malacan. And it is just exploding with, you know, new, new restaurants, you know, just this vibrancy in the foodie scene, new boutique hotels, you know, new kind of niche developments popping up all around. Um, then you go the... So the Todos Santos and Pescadero are kind of along the Pacific coast that runs north of Cabo San Lucas. You go east of Cabo and you hit the East Cape, and that's on the Sea of Cortez side. And again, there, there's all this, you know, new funky stuff happening. You know, some of those kind of beach towns um, to the east of, of, of Los Cabos, like La Ventana, they feel like Tulum on the on the Caribbean side of 15, <laughs> 20 years ago. So the way to play this is, you know, the to, to back the horse that won in the more challenging environment. That's step step one. That's the most kind of solid play. And then the more speculative play, if you want to get out ahead of the next trend, find the places that's one step removed, one step away from from that proven place. And, you know, you you can take kind of wild speculative punts on let's say in Albania, for example, you can make a, you know, I could make a a very compelling argument for why Albania might be very much worth looking at as a kind of a speculative long-term punt. But then I think to myself, why would I bother looking to Albania when I can look two hours, <laughs> two hours north of Cabo San Lucas, where right. I literally can, can look two hours north of a market where the average nightly hotel rate is $455, where, mm-hmm. where a significant portion of, of, 
of the tourist industry is the luxury segment with nightly rates starting at 1500 bucks a night, where you go in through the airport and you see everything from new budget airlines to the most congested private jet parking lot I see everywhere. So that, that in, in my view, Joel, we can, we can look to kind of very speculative upsides in a way that's very low risk by following that strategy. Yeah, so so interesting that you mentioned Albania. Uh, my wife and I were there, what would have been maybe 10, uh, well, eight years ago, say, and uh, we were at the very southern tip there, just right on the Greek border at a little place called Butrint. And my wife is an avid classicist and, and has her, her own classics uh website classicalwisdom.com if you want to head over and check it out but we were there on a just kind of on a whim uh it's very difficult to get to at least it was at the time you had to kind of go uh you couldn't cross over the border from montenegro uh you had to sort of zigzag ferries up and down the adriatic and we ended up getting a taxi to take us over the greek border uh and went on a floating bridge and there was a mule ride at some point it was it was very very off the beaten track but once we got to the beach my goodness it was just a little slice of of paradise and there was a you know an an old um ancient ruin there that was uh said to have been um Odysseus's first stop on his way home from from the Trojan War it was all very very interesting and we had the place practically to ourselves because there was literally nobody had heard of it and you know Albania of course had been such a hermit kingdom for for so long that it was it it very much felt that we were off the beaten path and and uh, you know maybe the opposite of of uh, of Corfu or or something where you know it was uh, just a, a more regular open to practical travelers, uh, shall we say. But it's interesting that you remark on Todos Santos uh, and places like this. I've been thinking for many years that uh, it's these little in-the-knowledge communities who are going a little further beyond who discover these things. And I'd heard about Todos Santos many years ago, having grown up as a surfer, because of, as you, of course, know, it's a, it's been and long been a big destination for big wave surfers uh, off the West Coast there. And it's interesting to see now these people, you know, coming in and putting tennis courts in and, and infinity pools and, and that that's in the, in the next uh, wave of progress. But it does go to show that you really need to be amongst those circles talking about uh, these places, you know, getting your boots dirty, doing the kind of uh, the kind of investigative and, and scouting work that you do, because it's oftentimes within you know those small communities, just word of mouth, where you hear about the next thing that's um, that's that's taking off. Um, I wanted to ask you about Tulum on the other on the other coast, because I know you've been uh, doing some work out there, and then maybe sort of get into exactly what kind of opportunities it is by way of construction and investment and uh, and uh, pre-construction deals you're able to leverage for your for your readers and in, into a bit of the the nuts and bolts but I guess just selfishly I'm I'm a, very intrigued by what I've heard about Tulum recently can you give us a bit of an insight there yeah and just you know when you mentioned surfers too Joel <laughs> I think of I think of Nicaragua you know and I oh, think yeah. of how the first 
the first kind of international visitors were those avid surfers who crossed the border from Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. You know, Costa Rica gets discovered. Northern Costa Rica becomes moderately busy. Again, those people on the frontier, on the edge, they're looking for the next place. You know, totally. you just see this time and time again, the artists, the French and Italian cooks, you know, you just follow these types around because they, they're only looking for the best. So they, you know, they're they're mobile, they'll go wherever is best. And, um, you know, they different groups unlock are they they both find and then they also create some of these transformations because a lot of these transformations come about when a certain community brings a certain design sense or something to a neighborhood and kind of triggers triggers a gentrification and um, you know Tulum is just one of those places where you just have this like 13 kilometers of just absolute pristine beach you know you have got an area of town around along the beach that kind of backs the beach and then you've got Tulum town itself which is which is vibrant and diverse you know it's just incredible to just kind of see the kind of the, the transformation within Tulum. Yeah, I remember it's probably just a a few short years ago, pop-up restaurant. So Tulum, Tulum was the place when when Bill um created International Living, the very first issue of International Living in 1979, I believe was about Tulum. And Bill wrote about finding naked hippies frolicking in 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 the beach. <laughs> now, there's still hippies and partially clad hippies, but they're the type of they're, now they're, they're just the highly paid of, models. <laughs> and they're the types of hippies who are paying fifteen hundred dollars per right. night to stay in a, <laughs> stay in a beach house. Right. Um, so <laughs> it's like, hippies. <laughs> yeah. So like, I mean, I you know, for for a long time, every time I'd go, I'd send Bill a photo of a kind of a line of hipsters queuing up to have dinner in one of these trendy restaurants and. Uh, you know, Bill was blown away that this was this was Tulum, and then he kind of came down there, uh, came down there with me just before COVID became a thing for us. So I guess kind of February of 2020. Um, but it is just this pristine, beautiful beach. Just I mean, for for me, it's you know the nicest beach on earth or one of the nicest beaches on earth certainly that top 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 tier and you just have this amazing experience of great food great beach you know people bike around the place it's just very funky and very vibrant and just really really beautiful and then so much to do around because you've got you've got ancient mayan ruins on the cliff you know your short drive to Koba, which is this Mayan, ancient Mayan city. You've got cenotes, which are these kind of these sinkholes. So the the whole peninsula is built on limestone. So 
over the centuries, some of these have just collapsed into giant, giant holes that just leave these beautiful freshwater kind of sinkholes or lakes um, with caves. And it, it's just really, really beautiful and a very, very special and vibrant and diverse place. And it's, you know, it's it's created a huge real estate opportunity just for all those reasons that 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 we've talked about. And, um, you know, in, investors who've, who've got in have, have done extremely well and, and will continue to do extremely well as those both long-term and short-term rental rates increase. Yeah, I, I bet. Um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm cognizant of the fact that I'm, I'm sure our listeners realize in both, <laughs> both uh, yourself, Ronan, and myself that we're, uh, we're wanderlust people and we could rhapsodize about uh, exotic places around the world uh, probably for a lot longer than we've got time for on this particular show. But I wanted to get to exactly how uh, investors, whether or not they're people who want to spend a significant portion of their time, let's say, and actually physically be in one of these many places that we're talking about, or if perhaps they wanted to, you know, place sort of a uh, put some capital down uh, and invest in something along the risk profile from, you know, steady, high uh, rental rate security to perhaps something more speculative at the uh, at the other end, how your real estate trend alert can help identify opportunities for them and, and get them started on one of those one of those paths. Yeah. So I guess, Joel, kind of, First of all, the, the the research that that I do along with my along with my my team, um, because again, it's it's a very very big world, and um, you know, since I've kind of founded Real Estate Trend Alert way back in in two thousand and eight, you know, I've realised that it's a big patch of ground we have to cover. So the more help I have, the better, but we, we pan out across the globe and we find places that are set to be very, very strong beneficiaries from, from these big trends that we're seeing. So the first thing people can do is, you know, invest in, in those recommendations. So for example, five years ago was a what I would call a, a macro recommendation, which was to, to buy land or homes in a certain neighborhood of, 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 of Todos Santos. And um, that's a scenario where I've identified the place that, that's on the up and I've explained to readers what I see as the best way to, to profit from it. The next step where it becomes, I guess, more, more easily, easily actionable for readers is where I sit down with the developer and I use our group buying power to negotiate special members-only pricing and terms on, on the deal. So, for example, tomorrow in Cabo San Lucas, we have a new members-only deal that's, that's opening up. We get to buy ahead of this deal being announced to the general, broader, and, and local market. We get to pick the best inventory, and we get a very, very significant discount on what the developer will, will charge to, 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 to everyone else. So the benefit of that is 
you know, we get the benefit of the, the group buying power um, because, you know, I invest along with with my fellow RETA members in, in many of those deals, you know. Um, in fact, in this Cabo deal tomorrow, I plan on buying, buying two condos. Um, we get the benefit of our combined group buying power because when I sit down with the developer, I can get a pricing based on us taking a big number of condos, maybe it's 100 condos, rather than just getting a price on one condo for myself. And then secondly, we also get to kind of leverage me and my team's kind of research, identifying the best neighborhoods and and very, very importantly, the, the best developers to work with. Now, you know, we all, you know, individually, every RETA member, you know, should absolutely do, do their own due diligence, but we certainly you know, do a lot of the grunt work and provide a lot of the, the the filtering out of the people that you know you you certainly don't want to be don't want to be doing business with. So you know, there's the there's the macro research that you can just take and you know figure out your own land deal yourself, or you know we'll introduce you to brokers in many cases, and you know you go figure out your pricing and do your own negotiation there. And then from time to time, you know, probably about eight times a year, we'll have a big members only deal. And um, that's what we we have tomorrow in Cabo San Lucas. All right, mate. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to uh, to joining your group on one of these future uh, jaunts somewhere around the world. But I think before then, uh, you and I might have a chance to catch up in Ireland. Uh, I'm going to be there for uh, most of, well, I'm going to be there for a short while at the end of June. I'm not sure what your movements are, but we might potentially be able to sneak in a, a pint of Guinness uh, would, sometime would along absolutely, the way. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely love to. And are you going to be circling back through Ireland as well? I'm not quite sure yet. We're, uh, we've got a bit of a – it was interesting you were mentioning that so many retirees are now – sort of re-entering the, you know, the, the, the outside world again after, after the great interruption that was the past couple of years. And my parents are among them. So they had a, a you know, a, a lifelong dream trip that they had planned to go to Scandinavia and check out the fjords in Norway. Um, they had planned that trip for February of 2020. So obviously that got shelved and they were yes. sort of waylaid in Australia for a couple of years. So anyway, they've now just embarked on that trip long overdue. So uh, my wife and daughter are going to go and check them out, uh, check out the fjords and hang out with with the grandparents um, <clears throat> for a little while. The reason that we're coming through Dublin, just and my readers are going to hear a bit, probably more than they want to hear about this, <laughs> but I'm going to go to uh, your... Kin, uh, Mr. James Joyce, of course, he has his uh, Bloomsday celebration yeah. on June 16th of every year. So this is the centennial uh, celebration, uh, 100 years since the release and publication of Joyce's Ulysses. So geeks and literary freaks such as my own kind will be uh, converging on uh, your fair capital for June 16th celebrations and following in. Uh, Leopold Bloom's footsteps, and and again, my readers will hear way more than this about this than than they want to. But that's the primary reason for going. We may circle back through um, 
depending on time constraints and some other things. But one way or another, mate, let's uh, let's make that Guinness happen either there or maybe, well, we've got plenty of other places to catch up in the world too. Absolutely. And I'm... Um... My my summer base is very close to y'all, so I'm a I'm a 33 minute drive from from Bill and y'all. So if you're if you're taking a summer tea or a summer Malbec under the the <laughs> big tree in in front of his his kitchen, which is a lovely spot to look down on the black water and the the rolling hills of East Cork and Waterford. Um, that would be a lovely spot for us to connect and um, and catch up there too. Oh, perfect, mate. Let's let's make that happen. Okay, I'm going to put a link to your uh, real estate trend alert underneath. And Ronan, as always, it's a real pleasure uh, catching up. And I hope that our readers have enjoyed this virtual tour around the world and are looking forward to embarking on one of their own pretty soon. Please, uh, to our readers, check out. Our Substack page, once again, it's bonnerprivateresearch.substack.com for many more conversations like this. Ronan, thanks you very much for your time. Catch you again soon. Thanks, Joel. Take care.